بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي uh, All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise him and we seek his assistance and we seek his forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, then none can misguide. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala misguides, then none can guide. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, welcome to uh, lesson 17. And um, I greet you with the greetings of peace in this uh, final session uh, for this particular semester. Uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, um, Zad al-Ma'ad um, will come to an end for this semester. However, it will resume again during the second week, uh, second weekend um, of uh, February, bi-ibnillahi uh, ta'ala. Um, and this doesn't mean that um, your efforts should uh, come to a close. Rather, uh, you should put a plan in place to try and revise um, what we've done since lesson, lesson 1. We are on lesson 17. Walillahi uh, alhamd. So that means there are 17 lessons uh, to be revised. And um, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, uh, that indeed seeking knowledge um, happens through a process known as learning. Um, and uh, learning is a verb which means it's a process of effort. And a lot of times uh, when we learn something, we pack it away and stop revising. And when we stop revising, then naturally we're going to forget things. Um, I think many of us can relate this back to our school days, uh, we would learn something for the exam, finish the exam, move on, and forget much of what we uh, learned previously. Uh, only if um, you know content was built upon in other classes, then only we would sort of have an idea or um, remember what we learned in previous classes. So um, there is an issue whereby we we have uh, a flaw in the learning process, and that is this lack of revision. Um, I have a class that I, I, I run in Riyadh for um, some of the teens. Uh, it's called Deenagers, with a D. Not teenagers, Deenagers. It's just a clever play on words uh, to try and uh, make our teens more, more, more deeny. <laughs> And uh, one of the things I was telling them um, was this, that the Prophet wasallam said that the Qur'an uh, leaves us faster than uh, an untied camel. You know, if you leave a camel untied, uh, it will leave uh, the place it was settled upon. And uh, the Qur'an leaves us faster than that. Now, if this is the case uh, with uh, the Qur'an, and the Qur'an is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made easy for us to remember. Right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلْذِكْرِ فَهَلْ مِمُدَّكِرِ 
that the Quran has been made easy for you to remember. Um, so, you know, is is there anyone who, um, or the Quran has been made easy to remember for anyone who takes heed? So, if 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 the Quran leaves us faster than um, the camel leaves the place that it was settled upon, whilst the Quran was made easy for us to remember. Right? Whilst the Qur'an was made easy for us to remember, then what about other knowledge? Right? Surely that knowledge will leave us even faster. Right? Because Allah has made the Qur'an easy for us to remember. And even though that has been made easy, it will leave us if we don't revise. So what about other knowledge? Right? So uh, we must take heed, my dear brothers and sisters. So whilst the Zad comes to an end, please... Uh, ensure that you engage a process of revision, even if it's in the form of just revising some of the notes uh, that has been uh, shared. Uh, in our last session, we ended um, the red part of the book. And um, with that, I will ask our brother Hisham to continue from where we left off, and in particular, the guidance of Rasulullah wasallam regarding uh, travel. Or the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in particular during travel, and in particular um, with regards to his worship sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So um, if Hisham is ready, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, we can uh, uh, listen to the, uh, the, the guidance shared by uh, Imam ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah and summarized by Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab uh, rahimahullah, and then uh, inshallah we will continue the discussion jazakumullahu khairan all right bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin was salatu was salam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in we ask allah that allah showers his mercy on the teacher of this class on the writer of this book and on all those who are listening we are reading from page 85 Chapter regarding his sallallahu alayhi wasallam as guidance during his travels and his acts of worship therein. His travels fell into four categories. I traveling to migrate to Al-Madina. I, I tra- traveling for jihad and this was the most common reason for his travels. And thirdly, his traveling for Umrah. Fourthly, his traveling for Hajj. When he intended to undertake a journey, he would draw lots between his wives. But when he went for Hajj, he took all of them with him. When he travelled, he would set out at the start of the day and he preferred to leave on a Thursday. And he, w- he would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless his people in their early departures. And when he sent out a military expedition or an army, he would send them in the early part of the day. And he ordered travellers, when, th- when they are three or more, to appoint one of them as the leader. And he forbade travelling of man alone. And he informed us that the single rider is a devil, two riders are devils and three are riders. And it has been reported from him that when he started on a journey, he would say, Allahumma ilayka tawajjahtu, wa bika a'tasamt. Allahumma kfini ma ahammani wa ma la ahtamu lah. Allahumma zawidni taqwa, wa li dhambi, wa wajjihni lilkhayri aynama tawajjahtu. O Allah, towards you I turn and in you I seek protection. 
O Allah, suffice me in the things about which I am anxious and in the things to which I do not attach importance. O Allah, equip me with the fear of you and forgive me my sins and direct me to goodness in whichever direction I may face. And when a riding beast was brought for him to mount, he would say Bismillah as he put his foot in the stirrup. And once he was mounted on his on its back, he would say, Alhamdulillah, illadhi sakhara lana hada wa ma kunna lahu muqrinin wa inna ila rabbina lamunqalibun. All praise and thanks is to Allah, who has subjected this to us when we could never have it by our own efforts, and verily to our Lord we shall return. Then he would say, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Subhanaka inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli innahu la yaghfiru dhunuba illa ant Glory be to you verily I have wronged myself so forgive me truly there is none that can forgive sins except you and he used to say Allahumma inna nas'aluka fi safarina hadha al-birra wat-taqwa wa min 'amali wa min al-'amali ma tardha Allahumma hawwin 'alayna safarana hadha wat-tawi 'anna bu'dah اللهم أنت الصاحب في السفر والخليفة في الأهل اللهم إني أعوذ بك من وعثاء السفر وكآبة المنقلب وسوء المنظر في الأهل والمال Oh Allah, we ask you on this journey of ours to grant us righteousness and fear of you and deeds which are pleasing to you. O oh Allah, make this journey of ours easy for us and make us cover the distance swiftly. O oh Allah, you are our companion on the journey and the guardian of our families. O oh Allah, seek refuge with you. I seek refuge with you from the hardships of travel, gloominess of the sights, and finding of evil changes in property and family on return. When he returned from Hajj, he would say this and he would add, Aibun, Taibun, Abidun li Rabbina Hamidun. We are returning, repentant, worshipping our Lord and praising Him. And when his when he and his companions ascended mountain trails, they would say Allahu Akbar. And when they descended into valleys, they would say Subhanallah. And when he looked down on a village which he wished to enter, he would say Allahumma Rabbi Samawati Sabr, wa ma Azlalna. ورب الأرضين السبع وما أقللن ورب الشياطين وما أضللن ورب الرياح وما ذرين أسألك خير هذه القرية وخير أهلها وخير, وخير ما فيها وأعوذ بك من شرها وشر أهلها وشر ما فيها O Allah, Lord of the seven heavens and all that they cover, Lord of the seven earths and all that they contain, Lord of the devils and all that they misguide, Lord of the winds and all that they scatter, I ask you for the goodness of this village, the goodness of its inhabitants and all the goodness that is in it, and I seek refuge from you, I seek refuge with you from the evil of its inhabitants and all the evil that is in it. He used to, when travelling, to shorten the four rak'ah prayers. Umayyah ibn Khalid said, We find mention in the Qur'an of the prayer of the resident and the fear prayer, but we find in it no mention of the traveller's prayer. Ibn Umar said, Oh my brother, verily Allah sent Muhammad and we knew nothing. So we only do what we saw Muhammad doing. It was a part of the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ to restrict himself to the obligatory prayers when travelling, and it has not been recorded from him that he offered sunnah prayers before or after them, except the sunnah of Fajr and Witr. But he did forbid the offering of supererogatory prayer before or after it, and that is like the general supererogatory prayers, not that it is a regular sunnah for the prayer. And it has been confirmed from him that on the day of the conquest of Mecca, he offered a duha prayer of eight rak'ahs. 
It was also a part of his guidance وسلم, to offer the voluntary prayers sitting on his riding beast. No matter which direction it took him to and he used to indicate his ruku' by inclining his head. If he wanted to set out before the sun declined, he would delay the dhuhr prayer until asr time. And if it declined before he set out, he would perform the dhuhr prayer and then mount his riding beast. If his journey impelled him, he would delay the maghrib prayer and combine it with the isha prayer. It was not part of his guidance to combine the prayers while he was riding, nor at the time when he descended. Regarding his as guidance in reciting the Qur'an, he would not fail to recite his regular hizb, 160th part of the Qur'an, and his recitation was slow and pleasant, letter by letter, and he would cut off his recitation at the end of each verse, and he would prolong it when he recited mad, letter, mad letters, which are the long vowels. So he would prolong the recitation of the words Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. He would seek refuge with Allah at the start of his recitation, saying, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim I seek refuge with Allah from the accursed shaytan. And sometimes he might say, "Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ash-shaytan rajim min hamzihi wa nafkhihi wa nafthihi." Oh Allah, I seek refuge with you from the accursed shaytan, from his prompting, from his blowing, and from his spittle, i.e., his madness, his pride, and his poetry. And he used to seek refuge before the recitation. He used to love to listen to the Quran recited by someone else, and he commanded the he commanded Ibn Mas'ud anhu to recite, and he did so while the Prophet listened. And he was so humbled by the listening to his recitation that his eyes filled with tears. He would recite while standing, while sitting, while lying down, while a state of ritual purity, having performed ablution and in a state of ritual impurity, but not whilst he was junub. He would recite it in a clear, pleasant tone, and sometimes, and sometimes he would cause his voice to reverberate. Ibn al-Mughaffal reported that he made it reverberate three times. Thus, uh, uh, uh. this was reported by al-Bukhari. When this is combined with the words of the Prophet ﷺ, beautify the Quran with your voices, and his words, Allah does not listen to a prophet as he listens to a prophet who recites the Quran in a pleasant tone. One can see that this reverberation was deliberate on his part. Now due to the shaking of his she-camel, if it were not the case, Ibn al-Mughaffal would not have reported that it was voluntary in order that he be emulated. For he said, he used to cause his voice to reverberate during his recitation, and reciting pleasantly and slowly taghanni is of two types. The first, that which is entailed by reciting naturally without effort. This is permissible. Even though he embellished his natural voice by making it beautiful, as Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said to the Prophet وسلم, if I had known that you were listening, I would have beautified my recitation for you. This is what the Salaf used to do and all of the evidences prove it. The second, that which is artificial and is the product of learning, as one learns to sing using all types of invented airs and meters, which were disliked by the Salaf and the evidence of its being disliked are concerning this. Jazakallah khairan akhi Hisham, barakallah fiqh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you, akhi al-kareem. MashaAllah. So um, what we've just heard is the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam during travel and uh, during, um, or his guidance with the Qur'an. And um, this particular chapter, or these last, uh, or the two chapters we've just heard, uh, these are almost exact um, or, or it is an exact sort of uh, mention 
of that mentioned by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah uh, in Zad al-Ma'ad. In Zad al-Ma'ad. Right? Um, so normally, uh, in, in, in the previous chapters we've heard, that there's been a heavy summary. There, there has been a heavy summary where the author uh, or, or, or the summarizer does actually leave out a lot of what Ibn al-Qayyim said in the original book um, because of the methodology of the summarizer um, when he summarized al-Ma'ad. So Ibn al-Qayyim sometimes goes on a long discussion bringing about a lot of difference of opinion, a lot of uh, technical hadith study uh, for some of the evidences used by the scholars, etc. So uh, the summarizer left those out. Uh, but when Ibn al-Qayyim wrote the, the, the last two chapters that we've just heard, uh, then uh, he, you know, uh, it was quite fluid, um, without uh, much um, mention of technical issues, and thus the summarizer has has um, almost, you know, um, practiced a sort of copy and paste from um, Ibn Al Qayyim's work. So, you know, for those who think or, or, or want a, a, a translation of uh, the exact mention in Zad al-Ma'ad, and this is a, a, a close translation to uh, what has been mentioned in Zad al-Ma'ad by uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. So in summary, there's very little uh, summarizing done in the last two chapters we had. So just going through the points very quickly. Firstly, uh, it states that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam engaged in um, four travels, four travels. Uh, I've got a message here to raise my microphone volume. It's highly raised. Can I advise that you raise your speaker volume on your computer? Barakallahu <clears> feekum. <throat> if anyone else is having uh, trouble hearing me, then please uh, advise. Alright, so we seem to be having some technical issues. Let me just uh, try and sort something out. Okay, uh, inshallah, 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 the... Um, the OJ is clear now, alhamd. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he experienced four types of travel. Not four travels, four types of travel. And um, with regards to these four types of travel, um, then it is as has been stated uh, by uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn, al- uh, ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah in his summary, as you heard from Hisham's reading, he would travel, f- uh, or one of his travels was the travel for Hijrah, uh, the next one was his travel for Jihad, and uh, uh, this constitutes most of his travel, and he would travel for Umrah, and he would travel for Hajj. And um, we take from this, uh, that all the travels of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was for the purpose of ibadah, for the purpose of worship, right? Uh, this is very clear uh, from the titles that have been given to the travel of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Everything here uh, is an act of worship. Hijrah is a great act of worship. And um, the rest uh, is definitely something understood by us all. Uh, as an act of uh, worship within the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, in every travel of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In today's, uh, I mean, back then, uh, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and even during his time for those who came in to visit him, they would travel to seek knowledge. So in terms of uh, travel that uh, existed then, uh, then we can add this this uh, this concept of travel for seeking knowledge, 
which also constitutes one being in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And another travel that people used to do then was a travel for trade. A travel for trade. And obviously the Prophet sallallahu did travel for trade before uh, he became uh, a prophet. After he became a prophet sallallahu then the focus was on da'wah. And um, uh, even if, if, I mean, if, there, if there ever was a travel, then it was uh, solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the akhirah. Um, the guidance that we should take from it in this day and age is to make a plan. Uh, to sort of tie our travels to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially travels related to siyaha, uh, travels related to tourism, travels related to uh, tourism. It's very important that we also um, tie this travel uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that um, we can also follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in uh, making our travels an act of worship and an uh, uh, ibadah. And um, I think we've spoken about this previously uh, in terms of making our whole life uh, an act of worship and even making those matters that we do which are not considered worship in and of itself. So making those matters that are not considered worship in and of itself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so it becomes a form of ibadah. And uh, this way we are able to follow the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning the overall guidance of his life. So we do travel for trade, we do travel for, um, for, for, the, for purposes of tourism, especially in this day and age where travel has become safer uh, and the world has really become a corner, right? Um, the, the, you know, even in terms of trade. Um, it, it's known as global trade, right? As if the world is a corner, everyone is, is in one corner. Uh, people have day trips to different countries and so on and so forth. So people are definitely traveling now more than ever. And uh, if we as Muslims can make our travel different to the travel of non-Muslims, then this is uh, definitely uh, a bonus uh, that we as Muslims should be grabbing onto. And, and this bonus only comes to the people of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. So um, this is very important, my dear brothers and sisters, that we utilize the potential that La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah gives us. Because a person who is not from the family of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, they have no way to make uh, their, their travel for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and no doubt the tragedy is that today we see Muslims uh, uh, engaging their lives in a way similar to how those who are not from the family of La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah engage their lives. You know, we study as they study, we travel as they travel. And look, Islam is not asking from us much. It's only asking from, uh, from us to engage our intention and make it for the sake of Allah. It's not going to cost us anything. It's not going to take extra effort. The, the process is going to be the same. If somebody saw a Muslim traveling and someone saw a non-Muslim traveling, they wouldn't see any difference, right? Uh, because the, the whole issue is with the heart and the intention. So the, the, the actual worldly activity is the same, but in terms of impact, then a Muslim stands to live for today and tomorrow at the same instance because they gain the benefits of their travel in the dunya and in the same breath, uh, their paradise uh, grows and becomes more beautiful for them. 
just by engaging the intention. So this is something we should take note of, my dear brothers and sisters. Also, from the guidance of Rasulullah is that he would travel with his family. Uh, no doubt, uh, he's going in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, it's also part of tarbiyah, a part, a part of development or Islamic development in particular that uh, we try and ensure that our families are not left behind in terms of the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you know, in a way that's easy for us. It's not possible that we can travel with our whole family all the time. Uh, but uh, in a way that's easy for us, as we see, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would take one of his wives with him, uh, except for Hajj, he took all of them. Right, uh, no doubt travel is, is is difficult, especially in this day and age. It's expensive, but we should keep this at the back of our mind, especially in our da'wah travels, that we try and save up and bring the family along as well, so that they can also be part of the khair and the blessings and the barakah uh, that uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala showers upon a person uh, in His path. And no doubt charity begins at home. A lot of the time, and again, just highlighting those who are in da'wah organizations and running da'wah. Our efforts. Uh, obviously, the da'wah is related to the community, but we must understand that the closest community that has the greatest right over us is our families. So, no doubt they shouldn't be left behind. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it says, He used to draw lots. Uh, drawing lots, uh, today we can, we can imagine this being a case of, for example, putting names in a hat or putting names in a jar. And then you pick out the name. So this is how he would um, uh, choose between his wives uh, in terms of uh, travel. In terms of travel, until everyone um, had their, their, their right and uh, meaning their right in terms of traveling with him, and then everybody's names would go back in the pot, and the process would start again. So this is a very you know it's 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 a nice mention of uh, Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah regarding the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa with regards to this, right? This, the throwing in this message that this is what he used to do. And again, this should tell us how, uh, you know, we will never find on the face of this earth any man, you know, whose every action, or at least the large majority of his actions has been recorded and transferred from generation to generation. And indeed, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise to protect the Qur'an, because that promise entails protection of the sunnah. Because here we see something very private, you know, choosing between your wives. This is a very private act, but subhanallah, it has reached us with great clarity. Walillahi alhamd. Um, then um, the author states, rahimahullah, that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would uh, prefer leaving early in the day, which means the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam preferred travel during daylight. And no doubt traveling during daylight is something the Sharia would promote because it's safer uh, than travel during um, the evening. And we know that uh, people who intend uh, criminal activity, they uh, sort of plan their criminal activity in the evening. So it's from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to choose to travel in the morning. And we should adopt this just to follow the sunnah. And we should remember reviving the sunnah is not a small matter. No matter how small the, the matter may, may seem to you. Sometimes um, you, know, you have an option of a day flight or a night flight. Um, uh, there's no, you know, nobody's saying it's not permissible for you to travel 
that night. But if, for example, you know, it's you know, it, uh, you sort of purposely pick some travels to be during the day because this is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, no doubt you will be rewarded for having revived uh, a sunnah. And the Prophet ﷺ, used to also send out his armies in the day as per his own preference of travel. And um, this teaches us that we should be constant uh, with our beliefs, whether it applies to us um, uh, or other people. Um, This doesn't mean that, you know, there's a set rule in stone that you can't go against uh, some of your beliefs, especially when there's a greater maslaha, when there's a greater benefit. No, but I'm talking about as a general rule of thumb. As a general rule of thumb, we learn from this that we should prefer for others what we prefer for ourselves. And if we prefer for them something else, uh, you know, that we normally wouldn't prefer for ourselves, then we should do so because the maslaha or the benefit uh, is better in you, um, you know, choosing for them something that you wouldn't normally prefer for yourself. So this is very important because obviously the Sharia um, is based upon this concept of takthir al-masalih or taqlil al-mafasid. It's based on this concept of making rampant maslaha and benefit and reducing and eradicating harm. This is uh, the objective of the Sharia uh, with regards to everything. So sometimes you have a value, but you choose for somebody else within your sphere of influence something which does it, which goes slightly against your values, but you should only do so if uh, choosing for them that is or constitutes the greater maslaha uh, being achieved. It shouldn't be that you have double standards, you choose for yourself one thing, but you let other people do other things which, um, you know, is is not really ideal. So this is an important guidance uh, that we learn from this particular mention of the author, whereby the Prophet ﷺ preferred travel in the day and he uh, sent out his armies as well. Um, uh, during the day. And the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer traveling uh, on a Thursday. On a Thursday. This is what Yawm al-Khamis means. On a Thursday. And this is established in uh, Sahih uh, al-Bukhari um, uh, as well. And again, this is testimony to how well documented the life of the Prophet ﷺ is. Again, this doesn't mean you shouldn't travel on any other day. But this was a preference of the Prophet ﷺ. If this is possible for somebody, then uh, if you do it because it's the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then no doubt uh, you will be rewarded uh, insha'Allah. The Prophet ﷺ, as the author says, preferred people traveling as, as, as a group of three at least. And when they did so, they should pick an Amir. And um, he discouraged us uh, traveling as one and two because um, he said that one is a devil, two is a devil. He's not saying that these people are evil people, but he's saying that shaitan has um, a greater influence on one and two than shaitan will have on three people. And no doubt, we're talking about three good people. We're not talking about three criminals, we're talking about three good people. Because we know from other teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he taught us to have a good friend circle. Right? So we're just learning from this that during travel, because now you're in a strange place, there's people who don't know you, you're probably more likely to engage in sin. So shaitan has an ability to push someone in sin if they want and even two, but if they three, it makes things more difficult for shaitan. So this is the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ with regards to that. It doesn't mean, again, brothers and sisters, that it's not permissible to travel as one or as two, but we can take the lesson from this narration that if we do travel as one and two, then we should really um, 
uh, be diligent and be uh, extra careful regarding our decisions and regarding that which we do. Don't be a person in oblivion and don't be naive thinking that shaitan uh, is not out there to attack you. Indeed, he is as per the teaching of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. With regards to seeking an amir, then this is definitely from the the teachings of Islam, uh, because again, Islam came with the objective of making good. Uh, manifest and rampant and uh, Islam takes into consideration human nature and the fact that you know two people cannot agree on one thing all of the time uh, thus there has to be um, a process that brings about benefit and that process happens in the form uh, of having an amir, and this is the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, before the travel is from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that you decide on uh, the amir and who the amir will be, and you obviously uh, should be sincere in choosing who the amir should be. It should not be an ego kind of context that I should be, or, you, or, or he should be, uh, because he lent me money, or because there's a favor I want from him, or we, we sort of, you know, throw our votes with ulterior motives. No, we should be sincere knowing that this is an instruction from the sharia and this is and, and, and this instruction is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, can take seriously right because uh, he taught the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us so our vote should go to the person who we see is the wisest uh, is is the calmest uh, in circumstances, and obviously someone who who won't oppress, because this is an ibadah. Choosing the amir is an uh, uh, ibadah. So this is also from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this is a forgotten sunnah today. Many a time we see a travel, but nobody really says, "Look, let's pick an amir," and then things that because also when you pick an amir, then what happens, my dear brothers and sisters, is that uh, by default um, this whole other important aspect in this in in, in, in the Sharia known as Shura will come about, right? Because uh, you you have the the, the pillars uh, of Shura in place, and one of the greatest pillars of Shura is having an Amir, because somebody has to uh, uh, make a final decision when there's a difference of opinion between the two parties. Which hotel should we stay in? Uh, what should we eat? Somebody says, you know, I'm wishing for rice. Somebody says, uh, yeah, uh, okay, even if they all say we're wishing for rice, somebody might say I'm wishing for plain rice. Somebody might say I'm wishing for spicy rice. And, and you know, um, and then you might get a situation where you have two fussy people where everybody you know, is upon this concept of my way and the highway, and then shaitan uses uh, you know, the, the heated emotion to start bringing about animosity. So the sharia closes the door to shaitan and says, pick an amir, and the amir makes a decision. And this amir should be picked by the people, so that you know, when he makes the decision, then khalas, they should be uh, respectful of the decision. And obviously, again, the amir shouldn't be one who abuses power and uh, authority. So... Um, this is from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Also, um, it states that when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentioned some of the du'as of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and no doubt, du'a huwa al-ibadah. Du'a is the essence of worship, and uh, there's no, you know, I can't think of uh, any action 
Wallahi, in, 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 a, in the life of a human being, except that there's, there's a dhikr from the Prophet wasallam, a dua from the Prophet wasallam, um, related to it, and you can actually see it here, when he went on a high rise, when he descended into a valley, there's, there's dhikr when he entered into a city, there's dhikr when he began his, his travel, there's dhikr. And when he came back from Hajj, we see an extra addition to the dhikr, to the dua, and alhamdulillah, all these duas are listed for you. Um, walillahi alhamd. And uh, you all have an, an English copy of uh, the summary of Zad al-Ma'ad, so you also have the English to benefit uh, from. Uh, just one thing, when we heard the dua, I think there was a typo um, in um, the text that Hisham was using. Um, so I think he said, Allahumma zawidni tiqa, but it's taqwa. Allahumma zawidni taqwa. Okay, Allahumma zawidni taqwa. So that's the, 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 the correct uh, Arabic uh, dua with regards to that particular dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, you know, we should engage uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the, the dua of travel um, all the time, all the time, my dear brothers and sisters. And uh, this should be a norm with all our practices. We should try and memorize as many du'as of the Prophet ﷺ and put them into practice. Because obviously, um, every du'a we read, we are rewarded. And why would we want to lose the opportunity? It doesn't take from us even, you know, three breaths. Uh, Alhamdulillah. So, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentioned several du'as of the Prophet ﷺ. And walillahi alhamd, you have them uh, all in front of you. Now, with regards to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ when he traveled, then um, he used to shorten his prayer. And this was his sunnah wasallam, And his sunnah, um, his sunnah was to... Um, Shorten the prayer and read the prayer on time unless he was actually on the journey. Right? Uh, I'm just summarizing again what you heard in the text. So the important points to take from this is that his sunnah was to shorten the prayer into two units of prayer. Number one. Number two, his sunnah was to shorten, uh, was, to, was to join between the prayers. So there's one aspect known as shortening, the other aspect is joining. Uh, and when we talk about joining, we refer to joining Dhuhr with Asr and Maghrib with Isha, uh, and vice versa, according to the majority of the scholars. Um, however, when he was actually settled in a place, then his sunnah was to shorten the prayer, but read the salah on time. Read the salah on time. Um, However, the scholars say it's permissible to also join the prayer as long as you fall into the realm of being a traveler. But the reason why I'm highlighting this is because we're talking about reviving the sunnah. And many of us, when we travel, we shouldn't just make it a norm to join the prayers. Rather, we should, we should follow the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam as much as we can and shorten the prayer, but try and read the salawat on time. Right? The salahs on time. Unless you have a meeting, you have a business engagement, maybe you're out with the family, you're going to a bird park, for example, you're going to be out the whole day, and uh, wudu facilities are, are few, and the place to pray salah is few, for example. So you know you're going to be out for, for a long period, then yes, uh, you can join. But let's say you know you will be in a hotel, or near a masjid, at the time of Asr then uh, that's a good chance for you to practice the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and observe the salah on time. 
Yes, shorten it, but observe it on time. Now, this whole concept of um, you know joining the prayers um, is a is, is a discussion between the scholars, uh, in particular the Hanafi Madhab versus the rest of the Madhab. The majority of the scholars are of the view that you can join between uh, the prayers. You can join between the prayers. However, the Hanafis uh, do not allow this joining. Um, there is, uh, and, and the reason for this is because um, there are hadith which state that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, if he uh, left after dhuhr, uh, if he left before dhuhr, then he would uh, delay dhuhr till asr. However, if he left after uh, dhuhr, then he would pray dhuhr and then leave. So he wouldn't bring asr up to dhuhr, which means he would pray asr at its time. So this is from the established reports. However, there's another report, and this is where the contention comes in between the scholars. There's another report which states that the Prophet ﷺ, if he left uh, before Dhuhr, he would delay Dhuhr till Asr, and if he left after Dhuhr, he would pray Dhuhr and Asr and leave. This particular narration uh, is a matter of dispute between the scholars of Hadith. Some have said it's authentic. Some have said it's... Uh, acceptable. Some have said it's weak. Some others have gone on to say it's uh, it's extremely weak. So there's, and and the science of a hadith is a very intricate science. But I just want to put you in the picture um, so that you become enlightened. That when you you know probably uh, travel with a friend who's who's a Hanafi, for example, and doesn't join, then you can understand that it's not just them. Uh, not following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, but rather it's a case whereby uh, it's an intricate discussion between the scholars. The Hanafi madhab doesn't allow joining between the prayers. The majority of the madhahib do. The Hanafis explain the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the acceptable hadith which says he delayed dhuhr to asr, um, as saying that he delayed dhuhr till the last point of dhuhr and prayed asr at the first point of asr. Right? So this is how they explain the hadith. They, they explain this hadith by saying that the Prophet wasallam, in te- technically it's like he joined it because he delayed dhuhr all the way till asr when his norm was to read dhuhr at the beginning of its time. So he didn't delay it uh, into the asr time, but apologies for that. He delayed it right till the end of the dhuhr time and he prayed it and then he would pray Asr at the beginning of Asr time. So the, a person who, view, who was viewing his action would, would understand that he joined Dhuhr wal Asr. So technically he did. But in reality, Dhuhr was prayed on time and Asr was prayed on time. So anyway, this is just um, uh, something for you to become enlightened about in case uh, you, are, uh, you, know, you are the Amir one day and you have somebody who follows the Hanafi Madhab, this shouldn't become a point of contention in travel. And I'm just highlighting it in some detail because uh, sometimes these matters do where you know, uh, one brother or sister will accuse the other of not following the Sunnah. We must understand that this is you know, a matter of contention between the scholars and every Madhab has its evidences and explanations of the evidences. It's not just a simplistic discussion of a Madhab uh, throwing out the Sunnah of the Prophet Also, brothers and sisters, with regards to shortening of the prayer, then, uh, yes, it was the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to shorten the prayer. His sunnah was never to complete uh, the prayer during travel. During travel, yes, 
Um, the, the, the Hanafi madhab says it's compulsory for you not to complete it. So if you are the imam uh, and you're a traveler, then you should only read two units of prayer. And the people behind you who are, who are residents, they will stand up and complete the remaining two units. However, uh, there are other madhahib that uh, consider this a choice. Consider it a choice uh, with regards to you shortening or not shortening. So they say the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam is to shorten. And uh, the, the, you know, the concession in the sharia is that you can shorten, but if you want, you can pray in full. So some madhahib allow this, the Hanafi madhahib is slightly more stricter, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, they say it has to be uh, shortened. No doubt the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam was to shorten. Now, there are some uh, narrations from Aisha radiallahu anha regarding the Prophet wasallam having completed uh, the prayer during travel. And this is why some madhahib say you have a choice. However, again, this hadith of hers radiallahu anha is a, is, is a matter of dispute uh, between uh, the scholars and Imam Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi, uh, he has some, some views about this and Ibn al-Qayyim actually mentions it uh, in Zad al-Ma'ad in this particular chapter and, and perhaps this is from um, the matters that uh, Imam Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab rahmatullahi alayhi, uh, left out in this summary. In this summary. So as I said, um, majority of this particular mentioned by Ibn al-Qayyim exists in the summary. There's just a few issues such as uh, the contention between the scholars regarding joining the prayer and regarding the two units of prayer. Now if you remember very clearly when we studied uh, the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ with regards to his salah, uh, we stated that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam or uh, Aisha radiallahu anha actually states that salah uh, in the Meccan period was two units of prayer and then after hijrah it became four except during travel. Right? So we did cite this hadith. Uh, for those who missed it, please revise that particular lesson. And uh, because of this hadith, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi, uh, also um, takes issue with the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, which states that the Prophet wasallam completed uh, the, the, his salah during travel. Um, in any case, it's a long discussion and, and, and it comes about looking at all the different narrations and the strength of the narrations and if there's contradiction between the narrations um, and so on and so forth. So, uh, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam was to shorten and no doubt a person who shortens then uh, they are following the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. So you should shorten. Unless you're in a circumstance whereby you are made the imam and the people behind you don't understand how to complete the prayer, then um, if you prayed in full, then based on the view of uh, the majority of the scholars, uh, this would be fine. So we say follow the sunnah to the best of your ability and um, you know try and, and and, and ma- meaning make your travels too, take the concession. Because also, um, you know, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an and Ali radiallahu an, they went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with regards to the ayah in the Qur'an, وَإِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَنْ تَقْصُرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ إِنْ خِفْتُمْ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an that uh, if you uh, on a travel, and um, you, th- th- there's no uh, you, you have the concession to shorten your prayer if you are if you are if you fear if you fear an enemy if you fear a thief or anything like this 
So they went to the Prophet wasallam and they said, O Prophet of Allah, we now live in um, calm times, in times of security and strength. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we should shorten if we are fearful. So, you know, should we shorten? So the Prophet wasallam said, Sadaqatan tasaddaqallahu biha faqbalis sadaqah. That uh, this is a sadaqah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, so take the sadaqah that Allah has given you. Meaning this is a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, so take this gift. Right? So this teaches us that the preferred stance in the sharia is indeed that you shorten your prayer when you are uh, on travel. Uh, there is mention of Uthman radiallahu completing the prayer in Mina. Uh, instead of praying two, he prayed four. And uh, there's a whole discussion about the scholars about this and why he did it. Um, because it's definitely khilaf a sunnah. Uh, just one second, brothers and sisters, I'm getting a, a, a message here that, um, Bismillah, let's see what we can do here. Okay, uh, sorry, I just got a message that the class was going to shut down for some reason, but Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it easy for me to extend it. Um, so what were we saying? Yes, we were talking about Uthman, radiallahu that he completed uh, the prayer. He completed uh, the prayer. Um... Uh, in Mina, um, when it, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't, and even at that time it was uh, it was a discussion between the Sahaba regarding his act, and the scholars have tried to understand why uh, he would do so, and they've offered several explanations. And one of the explanations is that he actually got married in that place. So because he got married to that place, he wasn't considered a traveler there; he was considered a resident there, and obviously he was the leader of the Muslims. Right, so this is one of, of the explanations. In any case, in any case, uh, the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam is to uh, shorten the prayer during travel. Is one allowed to pray it in full? Uh, uh, some madhahib are very strict and say no. Some say yes, you can if there is um, a need. If there is a need. Now, with regards to the the the, the other extra salawat, the rawatib and other sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, then the Prophet wasallam he never prayed any of the extra uh, units of prayer that he normally did when he wasn't a traveler, uh, whilst he was traveling, except the two sunnah of fajr and um, the witr prayer. The witr prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ used to uh, be very particular with uh, the sunnah uh, of, of fajr, with the sunnah of fajr and uh, the witr prayer. The witr prayer. And the scholars add to that uh, the night prayer as well. So he would, he would wake up the night and, and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and no doubt the witr of the Prophet ﷺ um, uh, the prophet, the witr of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was long. It would, it would consume the night, um, as we've heard in previous readings. So, uh, this was the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam during travel. Now, uh, the the scholars say that he, you know, if the if the compulsory salah was shortened to two, then it only makes sense that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't complete the other prayers because the sharia has showered ease upon us. The sharia has showered ease upon us. So if we're shortening the farad prayer, then surely the sunnah prayers, um, you know, would become a concession as well, would become 
a concession as well, right? Because this is a a, a, a point of uh, ease, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So this is really uh, a quick summary of the discussion that we just read, and some extra points for you to take into uh, consideration. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Uh, with regards to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam getting on his animal, this is just something that we just missed. Um, the, the, the scholars say, and this is, this is also cited by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, that he would say Bismillah when he would actually put his foot uh, you know, on, the, on, on, on the saddle. On the saddle. Right? To, so he could actually lift, propel himself onto the animal. So he would say Bismillah when he put his foot on the, on, on the, the clip that, that, that's joined to the saddle, right? that you put your foot on to propel yourself onto uh, the animal. And when he settled on the animal, he then would say um, the, the dua for, for traveling. So this is just a, a, a pearl of wisdom and uh, a pearl in, you know, generally for us to take into consideration that if we sort of put our hand on the, on the car door handle and put one foot in the vehicle, for example, we say Bismillah, and then when we settle on the seat of the vehicle, then we say uh, the dua for travel, um, as per the practice of the Prophet So this is just trying to bring the situation uh, to our context uh, today. And uh, indeed also some of us enjoy horse riding. I'm sure we have some people here, mashallah. Anyone here enjoy horse riding? Or, you know, maybe you don't enjoy it, but you've tried it previously. Anyone here? Mashallah. So um, we have some messages. Um, <laughs> Hisham says, I enjoy thinking of horse riding. <laughs> uh, mashallah. Uh, mashallah. So, um, mashallah. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you. So, this is you know for those who who engage this activity, then um, this is for you to actually practice that sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That when you put your your foot in that clip that's joined to the saddle, you say Bismillah, and then uh, you when you settle on top of the animal, you say the dua as per the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, what about those who want to actually, just one more thing, what about those who want to pray the sunnah uh, during travel? The scholars say that um, this sunnah will be considered uh, a normal uh, voluntary prayer that you pray. It won't be considered, you know, the rawatib, uh, or considered at the level of the rawatib. When we, when we talk about rawatib, we mean the orderized uh, sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or uh, the orderized um, continuous sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, like the two before Fajr, uh, the, the 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 four before Dhuhr, the two after Dhuhr, the two after Maghrib, the two after Isha, and so on and so forth. So, if you do conduct yourself and you engage, then this will be like general nawafil that you pray, and no doubt. Praying general nawafil is is also the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We know that he used to pray on his mount whilst he was on his animal, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He would he would pray uh, whilst the, the the animal was moving. Right. So this is what this is the guidance that the scholars offer, uh, just to further highlight that we should that that you know 
the fact that the four units of prayer has become two, then this is a concession from the Sharia, which means that the Sunnah Rawatib uh, and those prayers do not apply during travel. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. But please don't forget that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam never left witr during travel, and he never left the two Sunnah of Fajr during travel. So it's from his Sunnah to make sure we are diligent with these salawat, and this should teach us how diligent we should be with these prayers when we're not traveling. No one should make a, have a habit of leaving the witr prayer. It shouldn't be a habit, brothers and sisters. Right? It shouldn't be a habit that we, we leave uh, uh, the witr prayer or the two sunnah of fajr. So if, if you are busy and so on and so forth, um, you know, whilst you're a resident and you can't, you, you know, you don't have that habit of completing the prayers, then, uh, sorry, completing the, the rawatib and the, sunnah, the, the, the stressed sunnah prayers, then make sure you apply yourself at least with the two sunnah of fajr and uh, the witr prayer. You know, some of the salaf used to consider those who left the witr prayer an evil person. Right? Imam Ahmed and others, rahmatullahi alayhim, they would consider a person who has a habit of leaving the witr prayer an evil person. Subhanallah. Uh, and again, you know, uh, as we said, you know, today we, cons- we, we, we leave practices of the Prophet ﷺ because it's a sunnah. Whilst the Sahaba, they, pra- they did stuff, that the- they did acts of worship that the Prophet ﷺ did because it was a sunnah. Or they, they, they you know, um, pursued practices because the Prophet ﷺ did it because it's a sunnah. And no doubt a person who is continuous in, 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 in being lazy with the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then this person uh, is sinful in a way or form. In a way or form. Because this just shows disrespect to the Messenger ﷺ. And disrespecting the Messenger ﷺ is indeed a sinful act. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, with regards to the Prophet ﷺ praying on his mount, uh, then he would observe the ruku' and sujood with his head and, and a slight bow. So he would, he would bow uh, or, or the head would, would become lowered and uh, slightly for ruku' and even more with sujood and even more with sujood. And if a person sort of moves their entire upper body slightly forward for ruku' and, 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 and much lower for sujood, then this, this is uh, um, acceptable. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. Um, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, this wasn't in the summary, uh, states that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa prayed on, on a himar, on a donkey, uh, but from the authentic narrations we have, it states that the Prophet ﷺ prayed on a camel. Rather, the person who prayed on a donkey was Anas ibn Malik radiallahu an. Um, this is just a, a, a quick share, uh, because uh, you know the scholars have cited this difference. However, in terms of permissibility, then it's permissible to pray in your car, in an aeroplane, uh, on a on a motorbike, on a, uh, as long as you don't crash, uh, brothers and sisters, right? So on a motorbike, or even on a donkey, and even on a camel. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. Um, so this is basically what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made easy for us to share in terms of our discussion pertaining to the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa with regards to his travel. Uh, the next chapter that we heard and the last chapter was the, the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa with regards to the Qur'an. 
with regards to uh, the Quran. And no doubt the Quran, uh, this, you know, the Quran constitutes the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the divine words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, these words are not created. These are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the closest thing we have to us, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? Um, and it's something that should be revered both in, 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 you know, meaning in our hearts, both in our hearts and as well as in our practice. As well as in our practice. And um, revering the Quran in practice entails doing, uh, you know, certain activities with the Quran, such as reading the Quran, such as listening to the Quran, such as memorizing what Allah makes easy for us from the Quran, such as practicing tadabbur and pondering over the meanings of ayat so that we can unlock the secrets of the, uh, of, of the ayat, such as using the Quran as a cure when we are ill, because the Quran is a shifa, the Quran is a cure. Right? So all these practices entail respecting the Qur'an in practice. And we also respect the Qur'an in our hearts, that we hold the Qur'an uh, on a high pedestal. Um, you know, we, we, we hold it on a high pedestal. And, uh, you know, our heart becomes extremely sad if we see people disrespecting the Qur'an. And our, our heart becomes happy when we see uh, people being diligent with the Qur'an. Now the Prophet ﷺ had his daily portion and he never ever left it out. He never ever slept before reading it. And we need to adopt the sunnah, my dear brothers and sisters, that we never end our day except that we complete our portion. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, we look after that portion. Just like we look after our salah, just like we look after, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the most important matters in our day. The, you know, there's certain things in a day that we make sure we complete before we go to sleep, right? The day never ends before we've completed that. So this is something we need to, uh, t- you know, uh, take into consideration that we sort of make our daily hizb, our daily portion, um, our rock in our timetable. And, 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 and the, you know, the professionals, those who specialize in uh, development and self-development, they, they call these rocks, right? Uh, rocks in your timetable, meaning they're not movable. Whether you're traveling, whether you're ill, obviously if you're extremely ill, this is different. Whether you're ill, whether you're traveling, whether you have exams, uh, whether you're fasting, uh, irrespective. It's a rock, it stays in your timetable, irrespective of the nature of your day. Irrespective of the nature of your day. The daily hizb, this daily portion, should just be that. The daily portion should just be should just be that. And the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ was clear. It wasn't so quick that words and letters became chewed up as we find many people doing today. Right? They, uh, you know, they, they, they sit down with the Qur'an, they sit down with it as if it's a chore. Let's get it over and done with kind of thing. Now this is wrong, my dear brothers and sisters. So you find them flying through Surah Kahf on a Friday. They read it very fast to get it over and done with. And even if they do practice a daily reading, then some people read it very fast to get it over and done with. No, you know, our sitting with the Qur'an should be our relaxation, our happiness. It shouldn't be a let's get it over and done with kind of uh, uh, you know, process. So that mentality shouldn't uh, exist. 
Also, from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to read uh, one ayah at a time. Complete an ayah, then a next ayah, instead of joining between the ayat. So, basically, we learn from this that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, you know, he, 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 he enjoyed his time with the Qur'an. He considered his time with the Qur'an precious time. It wasn't rushed t- uh, a rushed process. And as uh, we heard the author say that he used to maintain the rules of tajweed, that he used to look after the places where you needed to pull. So if it was Ar-Rahman, there would be that that that, that uh, pull in the recitation. It wasn't that he would just say Ar-Rahman and so on and so forth. No, his recitation was diligent uh, and uh, true to how it was revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَتِّلِ Qur'ana." and recite the Qur'an with a clear recitation. And uh, this ayah came in a surah that was revealed very early on. If you look at the, 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 the order of surahs revealed, you find uh, Surah Al-Muzzammil having been revealed very early on, just after basically a few surahs were revealed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him and says, tartila, And recite the Qur'an with a clear recitation. So this was the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his message. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam very very early on and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to love listening to the Quran also and that's why I said earlier that from the practices that we have with the Quran is that we should listen to it and love listening to it the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam commanded Abdullah ibn Mas'ud to read so that the Prophet ﷺ can listen. And Ibn Mas'ud was very shy. He said, Oh Prophet of Allah, how can I read it when, when it was revealed to you? And obviously you taught it to us. Right? I'm just paraphrasing the incident. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ stipulated that he used to love to uh, listen to it. And also when he used to listen to it, he used to become affected by it, my dear brothers and sisters. So really, this is one of the relationships that we should have with the Qur'an. This ta'thir bil Qur'an, as the scholars say in the Arabic language. That, you know, this whole relationship of becoming affected by the Qur'an. Because Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu goes on to say that I would read and read until the Prophet ﷺ would stop me. And one day I read the uh, meaning in, 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 the, in the hadith that talks about him being asked by the Prophet ﷺ to recite, he, go, he actually says that um, uh, he, he, he read till, um, uh, or he read to a particular ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Prophet ﷺ will be brought as a witness over the people on the day of Qiyamah. And when this happened, the Prophet ﷺ cried and asked Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an to stop. Which means that the Qur'an affected the Prophet ﷺ. This ta'thir bil Qur'an was very uh, ripe in, in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Sahaba, when they would read the Qur'an, they, they would become affected by it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us about this concept of being affected by the Qur'an in his book in many an ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهِ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ Right? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed the believers, when uh, when the Qur'an is recited, their hearts become affected. Their hearts shake. Right? Out of fear of Allah and love for Allah and 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 uh, the the uh, you know the, the the trigger for this is is the Quran that they're listening to and there's many many ayat in the Quran. Also Uthman radiallahu an he was well known for reading the Quran and and crying profusely 
And uh, back in the day, the houses were very thin. People could hear from outside what was happening inside. And they would, they would shout out to Uthman and say, Enough, enough, enough Uthman. You know, this excessive crying and excessive reading, it shouldn't be like this, Ya Uthman. Uh, you know, are you going to kill yourself, Ya Uthman, or become severely ill, Ya Uthman? And Uthman would shout back and say that, um, you know, whoever, you know, anyone who knows the reality of the Quran, they would forget this word enough. This word enough would be deleted from the vocabulary when used with the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, you know, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to become affected by the Qur'an from the sunnah is that we become affected by the Qur'an as well. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to recite the Qur'an while standing and while sitting and whilst laying, whilst he was upon wudu, whilst he wasn't upon wudu. Um, and the only time he used to leave reading the Qur'an was when he was in a state of major ritual impurity. Uh, thus, uh, he would not read the Qur'an before he observed the ghusl. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the believers in the Qur'an. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَىٰ جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Allah praises those and says that, you know, uh, these praiseworthy people, they are the people that remember Allah while standing, whilst sitting and whilst laying down. And also they ponder over the reality of the creation around them, uh, which teaches us, or inferences for us, uh, you know, how important, um, you know, uh, how important uh, pondering over the meanings of the Qur'an uh, actually is. And the Prophet ﷺ used to beautify his voice when reading the Qur'an, and he commanded us to beautify our voices, right? He said, Zayinu uh, aswatakum, that, you know, beautify your voices when you pray the Qur'an. Uh, and he also said, Hassinu al-Qur'ana bi aswatikum fa inna sawt al-hasan, hasana yazidu al-Qur'ana husna, that beautify your, uh, uh, beautify the Qur'an with a beautiful voice, because indeed a beautiful voice increases uh, the beauty of the Qur'an. So, um, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim actually has a long discussion in Zad al-Ma'ad related to this whole concept of the meaning of At-Taghani bil-Qur'an. But since the summarizer has left this discussion out, inshallah we will stop here. Our time has come to an end and this marks the end of our semester. Inshallah, when we resume next semester, I will share with you some etiquettes pertaining to the Qur'an. Um, It's very important. It's very, very important that we, we improve ourselves with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very important that we improve ourselves with the, this Qur'an. And um, inshallah, um, you know, also ending our semester with the Qur'an and beginning next semester with the Qur'an. And you can't go wrong. It's, there's only barakah in that. So my dear brothers and sisters, barakallahu feekum. I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thoroughly enjoyed my time uh, with you all. Honestly, uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I just ask from you to remain committed to the live classes. 
and uh, to attend the live classes and benefit from the live classes and ensure that we can engage in some live interaction. You know, it's, it's, I won't say it's bad enough, but the reality is we, we don't see each other, right? We, we are connected through this technology that Allah has blessed us with. So let's not make it even more uh, difficult by, uh, you know, using, uh, by making our relationship a relationship whereby you just stick to uh, the audio recordings that get to you and we don't even get to see each other's names in the live class. I don't get to see uh, the messages you put in the chat box. Um, no doubt, um, you know, I benefit from it and perhaps I have been a benefit to you all. Um, this brings us to the end, my dear brothers and sisters. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He is perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness as I sincerely thank you all. I sincerely thank uh, my Zad al-Ma'ad team. Um, uh, wallahi, uh, my brothers and sisters that uh, assist in, in this class being a success, even Darul Ilm and the wonderful uh, sisters behind that project who sponsor this particular program and uh, afford us this classroom. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them with Jannah, each and every one of them, uh, Darul Ilm and, and, and the entire Zad team. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all with Jannah and grant you better than you dream and, and accept your du'as in a way better than you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give you better uh, than you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forgive your sins and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, keep you steadfast and keep you on the right path. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, really sh- shower His mercy upon you in that He gives you better than you anticipate for your efforts in, in, in spreading knowledge. Uh, wallahi, the best sadaqatul jariyah you can do is spread knowledge. And you can spread knowledge uh, in this day and age by learning the knowledge and teaching it. Uh, or by being a means for uh, the teaching of this knowledge to happen. Right? And, and you brothers and sisters who are in charge of this class, uh, you benefit from both the rewards of the students and the rewards of the teacher. This is a fact. Because it's your efforts, you know, that, makes this, uh, makes, that gives me a platform to teach. And it's your efforts that gives the students a platform to learn. And Adal al khair kafa'ili. That the one who uh, is a means of goodness, Allah will reward them. The rewards of everyone else that did good because of that means. And you have created a means. Right? You have created a means. So, uh, no doubt students are learning because of you and teachers are teaching because of you. So you get, to, you get the reward. You guys are in, mashallah, uh, the hot seat. <laughs> in terms of the Akhirah, because as I teach, Allah rewards you, because you are a means for me, and as the students learn, Allah rewards you as well, uh, because you are a means for them. So Alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. I can't express uh, how proud I am of you all and grateful uh, I am to you all. Um, obviously from the outset, uh, we always thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and foremost, and we don't praise anyone uh, as we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired me to teach, inspired you to learn, inspired the Zad team to do what they do. If Allah wants goodness for you, then 
He, he, he inspires you to take the means of that goodness and no doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has inspired us all. So we say Allahumma lakal hamd, hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fih, kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda, Allahumma lakal hamdu kulluhu, wa lakal shukru kulluhu, wa ilayka yurja'ul amru kulluhu, ala niyatuhu wa sirruhu, fa ahlun anta an tuhmad, wa ahlun anta an tu'bad, wa anta ala kulli shayin qadir. Ya Rabbil Alameen, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is most deserving of the best of all praises. My dear brothers and sisters, may Allah preserve us in His obedience, in good health. Please take care. Uh, I look forward to seeing you all soon. Hada wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.